Welcome to Enigmatic Metallic Podcast, where we respect fashion's past, analyze fashion's present, and get excited about fashion's future. I'm Liberty Ampoff, founder and creative principal of fashion media company Manic Metallic. Once a week, we'll bring you episodes about exciting things happening in fashion, discussion about current things facing the industry, and the places and people that have made the fashion industry great. We'll have a mixture of episodes with guest interviews and solo episodes, all designed to challenge your assumption of what fashion is, who it is for, and who can participate in this industry. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram at the Metapathology Podcast and at Metapathology. We'll link in our show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to our third episode of season three of the Metapathology Podcast. I'm Liberty, your host. Today, we've got a really interesting one for you. We've got writer Lizzie Colazos on, and she is the creator of Gemma Magazine. Now, Gemma features fashion, art, and style, and the magazine believes in a creative journey of artists and the interesting process that it takes for artists to reach their goals. Gemma Magazine supports creatives and the arts in every way, as it makes our society so much more interesting. This interview with Lizzie was fun, filled with energy, and she taught us a lot about her current state of California and her current city of Los Angeles. So let's welcome Lizzie to the Manic Metallic Podcast. Lizzie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Liberty. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm excited to have you here. I know that we talked about doing something together a little while ago, and now we're getting to do it. So let's give our Manic Metallic podcast listeners a just a summary, one to two sentences about who you are, what your involvement is with the fashion industry. Okay, well, my name is Lizzie Colazos, and I'm actually the editor of Gemma Magazine. We feature a lot of fashion designers, do profiles on them, as well as just current fashion trends, as much as I try not to say the word trends or trending and style. And then I've also been doing, with Gemma Magazine, a lot of actors and actresses and entertainment. But I try to keep it at fashion and style. I think you and I were just talking about niching down and how important that is. But I do try to, that's my my love, you know. Of course. And I know that with Gemma Magazine, yes, you do primarily fashion and style, but you also have a very artistic way of looking at things and so including other artists and the spectrum of what you do kind of makes sense oh thank you i mean i try to keep it as artistic as possible but you know within my own vision of what i see as art and speaking of artists i do you know it's been a little while but i do feature artists as well one of my favorites is ashley longshore art and I, she just, her, it just takes me to a different place. She's actually from Louisiana as well and from New Orleans. So she's the pop artist, but I do feature fine artists, actors, and again, mainly fashion and style. And I try to keep it as creative as possible, but I, I believe that like true creativity, you have to have your own vision for it. It's hard, you know, with all the Instagram and even just buying magazines like we used to, (laughs) going to the market and just being so happy to get that Harper's Bazaar. You know, I think looking through all that and sourcing and researching, because I love research is so important. But at the end of the day, what you post, even, I try to put thought into that for my stories and what I see as a vision, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. And if you're a person that you care about things from an artistic and creative perspective, then whatever, I'm going to assume that what you put out, this is how it is for me anyway, whatever you put out, you feel that it's a reflection on you. And so you just want to put as much into it as possible to make sure that it remains creative and artistically honest. Exactly. Like I love looking at your stories. And one great thing is knowing whose it is before, you know, you can eat like you're, you're scrolling through. But, you know, they have a certain vision or a certain aesthetic. And you guys have that. You've, I, I told you earlier, you've done a beautiful job with Manic Metallic. It's amazing to me. It's really true fashion journalism. I think the greatest thing is when you can, like, go back to, I've been back to your site just to even, like, research things or, you know, learn about 
something I didn't learn about. So I definitely want to get to that point, but ours are a little bit different. I'm not fashion journalism so much. I'm profiling fashion designers. That's okay. I mean, I feel like here's something that would maybe interest you. So with the Manic Metallic newsletter, I have all kinds of analyses, all kinds of analytics that I can look at to tell who's been looking at what and what portions of the newsletter people seem to be really interested in. And you're saying that a lot of what you do is profiling people. And the part that is consistently the most popular with our readers is the part where we profile fashion artists. Oh, really? Yeah, people really like that type of thing. Okay, because sometimes I go on other sites and I look at different categories, but maybe because I write about it so much, but I do enjoy it because I, I just get, I don't know about you, I get lost in the research. Anything to help me from like not thinking about me, you know, right. analyzing things. I think it's a fantastic thing to research someone's progress or their whole journey and what a beautiful journey that can be, even the hardships. And I love hearing about that from other artists. I really do from all realms. Right. And I think that a lot of people do like hearing those journeys because I believe that when we learn about people's stories, a lot of people, not all, but a lot of people are looking to see if they can see a bit of themselves in those people's stories. Like, is it relatable? Is it not? It doesn't always have to be relatable, but it's nice when it is. It is nice. Or just to be like, wait, that person struggled. It's easy to make it look so easy, the whole journey. And most people struggle, you know? It's not an easy business. Absolutely not. And yeah, you definitely find that out the longer that you're here. But if you can make it through fashion, I'm biased, but I believe that fashion's the best industry to be in. So let's talk about your early life. When you, from the time that you were younger up to like now, how did your early life direct you towards fashion? Like what got you interested in being a part of the fashion industry? Well, apparently I've always been really dramatic. So um, (laughs) (laughs) when I was growing up, my mom told me, you know, that a Southern family, we went to church, you know, that I would like overdress. And that everything was a big, we put on shows for the neighborhood. I remember that. But even just like at dinner time, I would dress. So I I always loved clothes and going through her closet was just a magical time. Because, you know, back then it was just like, wow, everything seems so bigger than life, especially for a Southern woman like my mom. Her name is Scarlett, actually. (laughs) And so I've always loved clothes. But to be honest with you, Liberty, it was, I would say, we lived in Baton Rouge, which is about 45 minutes outside of New Orleans. And I was raised in New Orleans for the first five years of my life. And then we moved to Baton Rouge. But I always admired, especially in my teenage years, when I would go to the French Quarter with my friends or just going with my family, mature New Orleans women would dress with such a femininity that I loved but also with an edge, which I think I loved even more. So it was that combination. And I observed a lot. I'm a big observer, obviously. And I would just look at them and be like, wow, I want to dress like that. In Baton Rouge, it was more like country Southern style. In New Orleans, this was more cosmopolitan. And I just, I love the whole vibe of it. And I, I think I tried to emulate it as I grew up, even in early 18 or 19 years old. I remember seeing, for example, a bob haircut the first time, thinking that that was, because, you know, we were taught, oh, little girls are pretty and have long hair and da-da-da-da-da in the South. But, you know, I remember seeing this one woman with a bob haircut. And I, I kid you not, fashion repeats itself and so does beauty. To this day, it's like the haircut that Hailey Bieber just got right now. (laughs) And it is just so, I just thought it was so cool. So that always inspired me. And then from that point on, I moved, well, after I graduated high school, I moved to Los Angeles to come to school. And gosh, that's a long time ago. And then I started working in magazines 
like old style magazines. I worked for an architecture magazine. And then I decided, you know what, it's fashion for me. That's where it's at. I think mixing writing with fashion was like the perfect combination for me. So where did writing come in for you? Right. I know. I kind of just like jumped over that whole thing. For That's me, okay. Right. I mean, when I started working, it was actually at Architectural Digest. I worked at Architectural Digest and, you know, I was like last on the masthead, but I was so excited to be there. And honestly, the staff does not even write there. They, you know, most of the writers are contributing writers that have been doing architectural writing for quite some time. But I would write. I'm really curious. Didn't mean to interrupt you. So you said that most of the staff doesn't write, then what do they do? No, they're, it's mainly like whether it's down to a furniture editor, Liberty, or submissions. I did submissions that came in. I mean, they mainly have contributing writers. And then every once in a while, a staff member will write, but it's such a high level. I mean, it's Condé Nast. Right. But that just sparked something. The whole, even though I wasn't really writing, the whole magazine, I was editing the whole magazine world. I fell in love with it. And then I started contributing to even like small newspapers. But my degree is in psychology. Of course, I did not do that. And then I started contributing even more to bigger online blogs. And I remember thinking that was so exciting and I had made it. <laughs> You know, one little paragraph, just doing a simple blog post. And then eventually I worked for LA Fashion Magazine, print and online, and then Oki, which is out of New York, and they feature so many artists. They do such a fantastic job. And most of my contributions for Oki were fashion. And obviously for the LA Fashion Magazine, it would be fashion. So by then I was like, I wanted to do my own thing and start my own online magazine. But does contributing to you almost seem easy at this point versus running everything like the whole show? I mean, it's a lot to take on your own. Yeah, I do think that having everything in your court, like you're running everything, it is a lot of work. So I do think that there's a lot that goes along with contributing, though. If you're a freelancer, you have to build connections to be able to contribute in the first place. You have to accept rejection. You have to pitch and pitch and pitch. And even then, your best work might not be accepted. So there's a lot of degree of, is it more or less difficult running things versus being a contributor? Right. You bring up some excellent points. The rejection factor, and then, you know, you only have so much control and you are contributing an article for them and you want to please that editor as well. Versus running things, you definitely have more control. Absolutely. And... I don't know if this is a sign that I have control issues or something, but I've never, ever liked this idea that I have to please someone else in order to be able to get my message out. Now, that's not to say that I don't pitch. I still pitch and I still like the idea of contributing to other outlets. But at the same time, Manic Metallic has very specific goals that it wants to accomplish and a way that it wants to contribute to the wider fashion industry. And I find it really hard to compromise that. You see, that's such a good point. And I feel the same way because even if it's a fashion article and I'm not crazy about the aesthetic and someone asked me to cover it, I'm not as lenient as I used to be. I feel like I have a certain way I want to present especially after you've started your own. And like with Gemma Magazine, I have a certain way that I follow with fashion and I want to keep that online. So that is a very good point, actually. It, you know, contributing comes with its own set of circumstances and a degree. Absolutely. So when you have people think of Gemma Magazine, then we're talking about perspectives here and how we want to present things. Now, when you have people that are reading the magazine, and they're thinking of Gemma, how would you like for them to see you? That's a good question. 
I feel like I would love for them to see some diversity, to be honest with you. I grew up with everybody. It just seemed looking through fashion magazines, you know, blonde and blue eyes. And I love the diversity factor. I'm married to a Colombian man and we have children Mm -hmm. that are mixed. And I absolutely love them being exposed to the Southern culture. As much as I might have certain things against it, as well as to the Hispanic culture. And all three speak Spanish, which is great. So I just, I hope they see some diversity. Like I, I'm constantly researching like Vogue Arabia or Vogue France. And I felt like with Manic Metallic, that, that was something that we kind of had in common, that you have a lot of diversity going on as well. And I do hope that they see that an openness almost like a non-judgmental thread there would be nice. So, you know, kind of like, wow, that's cool that she posted that because I just feel like everything can be so curated, especially with Instagram and a lot of the young girls that are posting. Right. So you mentioned Instagram here and how it is a very, very curated platform, always has been. What do you think that platforms like TikTok have done to change that view of things being so curated? How does TikTok compare to Instagram in that way? I mean, I know my kids love TikTok and they told warned me not to join, but I did and I need to continue. But I just feel like it's a little more free. And I know we mentioned the word curated. Definitely not such a formula. I almost feel like Instagram has gotten to be this formula and I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling and it seems like the same to me, even though they're different photos. But I think TikTok requires a little bit more, maybe of a thought out process or I I just, I think you have to really be savvy and I want to get that confidence where I'm like, yes, I just posted on TikTok. I know you guys post a lot, Liberty. So it's great. We've tried to recently get into TikTok because starting off, we were on Instagram a whole lot because that's where fashion people are. And that hasn't really changed, contrary to what a lot of people have been saying about Instagram dying. I think there's an element of truth to that. I think that Instagram, as we know it, is leaving. But fashion people are still there. But I want to, in addition to reaching the audience on Instagram, I know that younger audience members tend to be on TikTok these days. And so I want to reach people where they are. So even though TikTok might not be innately a thing that I would choose for myself, because I have a certain way that I prefer that Manic Metallic communicate, I do want to reach people that would love what Manic Metallic does, but maybe they are only going to discover Manic on TikTok. And as a business owner, it's your responsibility to meet people where they are. I mean, I have to be on there and I have got to break my fear because the fact of the matter is, is that's where people are. I don't think that Instagram is dead either. And I've heard, you know, oh, it's over with, it's over with. I just think that most people are at TikTok right now. If I'm correct on it. I don't know the exact numbers, but I think that, again, Instagram still has a pretty large audience. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. But if we're looking at where the energy is at, I feel like a lot of energy tends to be on TikTok. But yeah, despite that, you still have a lot of people that are not only still on Instagram, they are thriving on Instagram. And I think that's wonderful. I think that all of these platforms have a place. And I think that people have platforms that they tend to gravitate towards to get their message out. I do. I think people definitely have their favorite platforms, but then I'll see someone and I'm like, they're not on TikTok, even if I'm not on it very much. (laughs) Yeah, And I'm thinking, but just because it's so relevant right now to be on there. But You've actually inspired me. I'm going to do something on TikTok right after this. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. The crazy thing with TikTok and then after this, I'm going to move on. The crazy thing with TikTok is that you could basically film yourself walking down the street, a quick clip of you walking down the street or eating food or something like that, or typing on a computer and just put a message on it and make sure the message is impactful and useful to your audience. And that's not the only thing that you're going to do to succeed on TikTok, but you could literally do something like that and it could go viral. 
it is so crazy. Like it's almost like gambling, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because I, I'm thinking, God, you know, I I wore this really great lace shirt today and I know we're not seeing each other right now, but I'm like, I get dressed no matter what, like I have an important appointment and I did with you today. So I'm thinking, wait, yeah, I could just go film it or just say, hey, I just, you know, did a great podcast on Manic Metallic. (laughs) Right. So I want to talk now about the LA fashion scene because... As I was saying before, I'm an East Coaster through and through. I said that before the podcast. I was born in the Southeast. I went to school in the Northeast and I live on the coast. Philadelphia is where Manic Metallic is based. And I'm back and forth to New York so much that I'm there often enough. Now, LA's fashion scene, I've never known a lot about it. Never had much curiosity about it, to be frank. But Now that I'm digging deeper and deeper into fashion outside of New York City and outside of the four major fashion capitals, I've gotten a bit of curiosity about California's fashion scene. And I feel like with LA, so often it's looked at as a basket of Hollywood and entertainment, but there's a lot there I feel like that I don't know about, that a lot of people don't know about, even inside the fashion industry, that we could stand to talk about. So The first question, actually, for you, since you live in L.A., is Los Angeles better than New York? Oh, wow. Just a general question. Inquiring Uh, minds want to know. Yes. (laughs) But but listen, I absolutely am obsessed and love New York, the energy. I love the city feel. I love it when you walk and you feel the energy of people. I'm really not... I mean, I'm not even a good driver. So okay. I'm, I'm not like one of those people that dies to get in their car, you know, and travel an hour. But I do feel like LA does not get the credit that they deserve for fashion. I know New York is where it's at. Trust me, I have so much respect. But there's a lot of talent out here. And sometimes you'll see that at LA Fashion Week or certain brands that you like. And there's like three or four different brands that I'm obsessed with right now. And it usually is this cross between street style and classic pieces. But everyone has this vision that anything goes. It's LA because people are crazy <laughs> out there. And it really, if you're into fashion, it's not so much that everything goes. You know, you do put some thought into it. Usually there's a lot of layers going on. But The other day I saw a woman at a coffee shop and I wanted to stop her and just photograph her. And I should have, because I just thought she was put together in such an amazing way, not curated, but street style. She had on this beautiful blouse with more of a weathered jacket and then jeans and a little bit of a roll up. It was a warmer day. I know it's only January. And I just thought, wow, she looks so put together, but yet not, if that makes sense. Kind of that effortless classic feel. Mm -hmm. I love the way that she was dressed. And there is a lot of anything goes, but there is also as well put together feminine feel, almost a European feel. Okay. Mixed with rock and roll or retro edge, vintage. (laughs) Those are not the same. Right. It sounds like from what you're saying that there are a lot of moving parts as it relates to how people view personal style in LA. A lot of things that you maybe wouldn't expect. There's not I know that a lot of cities have more of a description of personal style where maybe you can sum it up in a sentence or two. It doesn't sound like Los Angeles is like that. Am I right? No, you're totally right. Los Angeles is actually respected for its fashion and so many trends do come out of here. So I actually feel like I learn when I go out and I, you know, I see how people are dressing Mm -hmm. or if that makes sense. I'm sure you feel the same way about New York City. It's just completely like, oh, I'm taking it, you know, especially being on the West Side, they're a little bit more into fashion, I would say. Now, is is that the West Side of the city that you're referring to? Right. I actually live 10 minutes from the airport in Westchester, California. The West Side is, it's beachier, more bohemian, I would say. 
more the gypsy vibe, but not like greeting you when you get off the plane, you know, right. <laughs> with beads and stuff. But there's some really wonderful brands out here and it takes a lot of discipline and talent. And I respect Misa LA so much and Jen's Pirate Booty and she's got a flagship store in Joshua Tree when she used to work at Planet Blue in Malibu and she just developed her own style and all of a sudden people I mean this is a great story people were dressing like her or wanted to dress like her eventually she formed her own brand and then there's the Parrot Chalet which is wonderful they make these luxury knitwear sweaters and I love these stories because they're usually all inspired by someone, whether it's a, their late mom or connecting to home, right. the comforts of home, especially with the sweaters. So the more I research it and find out about LA fashion, I have more respect for it. I know people like to say fashion is not out here. Right. I feel like some of the best fashion is that that does have a strong story behind it. I know that there are some people that get into fashion because, oh, I'm, I'm in it because of the glamour or I want to live the lifestyle or what have you. But I think that stories, in fact, no matter whether it's fashion or most any industry anywhere, I feel like the best that you can get is when you've got work that has strong stories behind it, because it shows that there's a person there. It's not just a business. They're not just there to take your money. There's an actual story there and there's a person. Exactly, Liberty. I feel the same way. And everything, when I'm researching and I find the story, it just makes you more interested. Even if it's like, oh, my mom was, her loves were travel, art, design. And then she started making clothes. And maybe the daughters, after the mom passed away, took on the brand. There's a story behind that, femininity and silhouettes. I like the whole Jen's pirate booty thing a, a lot. The fact that she just made up kind of her own style in Malibu while working at Planet mm -hmm. Blue. And then she exploded into forming her own brand. So the stories behind it are always wonderful. Yes, yeah, certainly. Now, you mentioned LA Fashion Week earlier. Could you tell us what LA Fashion Week is like? Because I have been to a couple of smaller fashion weeks on the East Coast, as well as New York Fashion Week. But I'm curious to know what is LA Fashion Week like? Like, what do you typically see from designers and guests that attend the show? And is it accessible to attend? What's what's the whole scene like? Okay, well, I actually love LA Fashion Week. It gets a bad rap sometimes as well because Paris and New York come first. But again, not to repeat myself, I think the talent with the designers is usually amazing. Last LA Fashion Week was wonderful. There were so many feminine designs. And basically, you can just submit your name and say, I would like to attend. Of course, there's tickets you can pay or if you're part of the press and sometimes you get to go. And I just thought that they did such a great job last time in terms of organization. Of course, it's crazy and the whole thing. But th to me, there's nothing like coming down that runway, watching the models come down the runway and see what the designers have put together. There were a lot of Asian designers at the last LA Fashion cool. Week. and. Yeah, and I thought that was wonderful that so many were brought in and invited to feature their clothing. So I think, I mean, it gets a little bit eclectic at times. Can you see yourself wearing these clothes at LA Fashion Week on the daily? Probably not. But maybe to a party or a little soiree later in the evening, definitely. Especially it is LA. Right. But last time... A lot of goddess-like and bohemian, just that whole flow I feel like is in right now. So it's in sustainability. Yes. And I feel like fashion is headed, especially in LA, more towards sustainability, which is so important for the society, for other people, the environment. And I just feel that we are headed there, that there's certain designers that definitely want to follow that path. I don't know if you've heard of Asino London. They're also inspired by their travels, the two mm. founders, and by architecture. And so their whole Instagram feed 
you got to check it out, Liberty. It's amazing. It's like, you know, they're traveled. It's called Asino London, A-S-C. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. A-S-C-E-N-O, London. And it's sustainable. And I love that brand. It is just so beautiful. Feminine, but structured. A little bit masculine as well. But most importantly, it's sustainable. And I love the founder's story that they're best friends and they are completely, I, I feel like they have really stuck to their vision because it's easy to say, yeah, you know, my line is inspired by my travels or by art or by right. design, but theirs truly is. And I have so much respect for that line. Right now I'm trying to put together a little sustainable thing for Gemma magazine. I'm like, okay, where are the sustainable designers? I want to feature three or four. I think I only have two so far. So if there's anyone out there listening that wants to be featured. So, I mean, it would be I have a wonderful. For you now, you know, this thing that you're putting together for Gemma, is it sustainable designers like in Los Angeles specifically? or It doesn't have to be. But I thought I was going to have a whole inbox of messages because everyone's talking about sustainability and fashion. But I don't think it's as easy as people think it is. So there are plenty of sustainable designers out there. And even here in Philadelphia, I mean, there are plenty of sustainable designers in New York. I wonder why there wasn't more of a response to that. I could even give you a few ideas if you like. I could just send them to you. Sure. That would be great. Well, the woman that sent me hers, they're very classic, kind of similar to Asino London. And the white button-down shirt and the A-line black skirt. So. I know there's a lot of sustainable designers out here, but I was going through people I had written about on Gemma and they're not sustainable. And I've never really looked for that before. So this is a good lesson for me as well. Absolutely. I'll send you a couple of suggestions on people to potentially look at. And sometimes I deal with like high, high glamour people. And so the last question you're asking is your line sustainable. But it's an important thing to talk about. It absolutely is, especially being in what I've just taken to calling the climate change era. <laughs> so, Exactly. I mean, reducing the waste and protecting the environment and you know, advocating for human rights. I've started to research this as well, and it's something I've become really interested in. And I know you guys have really been good about it versus fast fashion. Very definitely. Now, one thing that has given people that are advocates for sustainable fashion a lot of heart recently is the Garment Worker Protection Act. It's actually California-wide, and it's affected California's fashion industry, depending on who you ask, positively or negatively. Do you know anything about that act? I know just a little about it. I mean, I think it's good Obviously, you want to protect workers and you know, fair wages, working conditions. And personally, if it affects the fashion industry in a negative way, then that's so be it because the people are more important. Absolutely. Yeah, it's basically this bill that prevents, I mean, to sum it up, I mean, there's a lot of detail on it. I can put a link in the show notes for people that want a bit more information about it, but it basically stops employers from stealing wages from workers. It forces them to pay workers fairly. As it requires hourly be. wages as, as well. So, Exactly. I mean, it should be that way. People cannot work in negative conditions. It's not okay. Yeah, exactly. Especially when fashion is such a global industry anyway. I know that New York and California have both, again, either been on the front lines of passing these bills to protect garment workers or have been putting bills through the legislature. And that's a really heartening thing to see. I know that America's garment industry has been shrinking over the past few years, decades, because work has just been sent overseas to places that don't have strong labor protection laws and you don't have to be spot on about your supply chain. So... I've always felt that sustainability will never truly take hold anywhere, not just the really? United States, but anywhere in the world, unless these designers and brands are forced into having to do it. 
especially the bigger brands. I know that they're small independent brands and they're doing the right thing and that's great. But a lot of these larger brands aren't going to do it unless they're forced to do it. Do you feel like it will pass on the East Coast? It will go through? Well, I'm hopeful that it will. I know that it was a big bill before the elections this past November. And as to its current status, and what we're talking about here is the Fashion Act, in case anyone listening isn't aware, I'm not sure if it's current status. I mean, I, I hope that they're still taking that up in New York State. but Right. No, I understand. Right. So one more question, actually, before I move on. What would you say is your favorite event? Now, I know that being the creative Gemma magazine, you probably get to go to a lot of really interesting, really cool fashion type events, but you're in Los Angeles. So it means there's probably a lot going on out there. What would you say is your favorite event that you've gotten to go to being on the LA fashion scene? Um, I would say the Emmys gifting suite because I actually also love researching brands and they always have new brands, whether it's spa girl cocktails, you walk around a room and you basically take a picture of all the brands and then you produce a write up at the end that's usually due in a timely manner a couple of weeks. But I love going to the Emmys gifting suite, Liberty. It is so much fun because they truly have like, I mean, they'll, you know, they'll have flavored waters that look like they're gourmet. I mean, it's ridiculous. And like I said, the spa girl cocktails are the latest in protein bar. (laughs) Since it's a little LA, but it's so over the top that I love it. How could you not? It's fun. Of course. And then you get to write about it. So I would... And that's a good point. Yeah. Even though Gemma is focused on fashion and style, we do live in LA. So there's usually an Oscars gifting suite as well. And it's the same sort of formula, just up and coming brands, whether it's workout or skincare, beauty, jewelry, it's usually what the celebrities get. They get like a little grab bag and they get to try them. And then we get media also gets a little something so it's fun they're definitely fun to try and so much fun to go to yeah even for someone like me that likes to zero very narrowly in on fashion and not so much entertainment that does sound pretty cool yeah I would love for you like I said if you come to LA you have to come to one of these there's nothing like it I mean it's just fun to discover the brands you're actually learning so it's a great event to attend, and I highly recommend it. Okay, so before I move on, you attending these events sounds pretty neat. Now, for someone out there that might be listening and they're thinking, oh, wow, she gets to go to Emmy events and Oscar events. How do you get there? Is it because you're pressed, you just apply for a press pass or you invite it? Like, how does it work? Well, in the beginning, I have an editor friend that she has been like a mentor to me, which I highly suggest having, especially in fashion. And I was her plus one. So that was my first Emmy's gifting suite. And I was so grateful and I was so intimidated and especially writing up the report because you have to link everything. And I thought that was such a big deal. I have to link the brand to the product and make sure everything goes through perfectly on the report or the write-up, I should say, the article. And I went with Stevie Wilson, the editor of LAStory.com. I've contributed to them as well. And then from that point on, I got invited and I was like, great, that's classic networking 101 even though she is a friend to this day and then I started getting invited on my own which I, w- I was like wait is this for me are you did they get the right person so I was super excited but you have to remember they need coverage as well right you know and it's not just like oh my god I get to go because I actually work really hard at research and writing and editing and it just before the podcast today, I was editing something and I was like, oh, am I going to be able to get through this? But going to the events is obviously kind of like the field trip part of the job where it's just like, oh, I get to go to an event and then just take it in. I don't have to get all the notes right now, but I can get some notes and have a good time or at least act like you're having a good time because they do put in a lot for these events to be produced. 
Certainly. And yeah, it is important to realize that when you go to these events, yes, there are some that you do get to go to and enjoy and take a few notes, but there are some that you do have to do work for. In fact, there are many of them that involves like some element of work. Fashion isn't just going to things and enjoying it, but sometimes it is. Right. I mean, like, okay, going to an Emmy or an Oscar event, yes, you can get notes later on. That's okay. They actually give you a sheet of notes of the brands. But you go to LA Fashion Week, you can't just call up the designer and be like, you know, the second model that came out on the runway tonight, (laughs) you know, was that tool or what was the fabric? And that can be stressful because you got to get that down fast. Right. So moving on, could you give us something that right now you're working on inside of fashion that's fashion related that is exciting to you and that can be related to Gemma Magazine or even anything outside of it? Well, one thing I had mentioned earlier was I want to feature the sustainable designers. We know the reasons why it's so important. And I just want to see who comes forward. I always feel like that's a fun process. So I'm working on that and I want to feature them. And then another thing is, I can't say the name of the TV show, but there's a fashion TV show coming out where they profile about seven or eight designers and they go behind the scenes and I'm supposed to be helping them creatively. So I'm excited for that. I don't know if that would involve research or maybe interviewing some of the designers, but That would be a thrill to do something like that. That sounds like a really cool project. Is that another one that you were able to run into networking or? Well, that one, believe it or not, the creator of the show noticed, you know how you can just feel like no one is noticing your post, Liberty, at times, like you're just going through your thing and people looking, are they not? even though you shouldn't be concerned about that. But apparently he did. And he's like, I can't believe how much you're into fashion. And so we kind of established a relationship back then. And I would fill him in on LA Fashion Week. I would see him there. His name is Ken Gora. He's wonderful. And he goes to the La Jolla International Fashion Film Festival every year. And he usually has a film that he produces or is a part of. So. I got to know him that way. And actually, the La Jolla International Fashion Film Festival, for people that don't know, they should follow them on Instagram because they have some wonderful artists. I mean, art and just fashion that they feature. And it's a great, great site and a great event to go to. But with Ken, that's how I got to know him. And I'm not surprised about him developing a TV show about the designers and going behind the scenes with them because he's so creative and so super smart. Yeah, it sounds very, very neat. It really sounds like that is a, it's something that I feel like I'm trying to put words to it. I know that you can get opportunities like that in other cities because fashion doesn't just belong to a couple of cities, but it sounds very uniquely Los Angeles. It is. I mean, the name of the show is Fashion Opa. <laughs> so it's going to be coming out soon. And King Gore, like I said, he is the producer. And I love the idea of going behind all these designers' lives and what they go through. It's kind of like reality-based. Right, gotcha. So we're getting towards the end a bit here now. Could you, we talked a bit earlier about this, but could you give a bit of an idea of the direction in which you would like to see the fashion industry head in? It could be any particular topic, just anything on your mind. I would like to see, you know, more sustainability now that I've researched it and learned about it a lot and how important it is. I would like to see that happen. And I'm just always excited to see new, I want to see people excited about fashion again. I'm always excited about fashion, but I kind of feel like we're going through a period where people, since the pandemic, it's been very hard. And my husband's actually a fashion photographer. So things really have slowed down in Los Angeles. So I'd like to see fashion kind of reach a higher level in LA again. 
Yeah, I feel like the pandemic did a number on a lot of industries, but especially fashion, because if you're not going anywhere, then why do you, right. why would you feel that you need to dress up? And now even coming back out of the height of the pandemic, pandemic's not over, but coming out of the height of the pandemic and we're able to go places again, it is taking some time. I know that there are a lot of fashion journalists out there that like to say, you know, formal fashion is coming back. People are dressing up to going out again and doing this and doing that. Not necessarily. I think that that could be the case in some quarters, but not others. So yeah, it's interesting to hear that it hasn't necessarily come back in Los Angeles. I mean, you're totally right. Not necessarily, because the fact of the matter is I'm getting invites, but it's still so slim. And I'll talk to other editors and they're not really going to things or things are still on Zoom. So I kind of feel like it is not back. And, you know, I remember six years ago just being so excited and so many events going on. And they're definitely still being very careful, which is probably very good. It is a good thing. But for those of us that like to go and meet people in person and being a bit uh, being a bit superficial here, go out, meet people in person, show off our outfits. Not so great. No, I miss it like crazy if you want to know the truth. I really do. I mean, because I work from home. So like I said, that's like the field trip, going out and talking and right. learning. It's so, it's so great. So I hope that it comes back stronger. I hope so also. Now, could you give... One piece of advice, anyone wanting to join the fashion industry or be involved with fashion, what would you say to that person? I, when I started off, you know, we always refer back to ourselves. It's just like fashion. But I would suggest that if someone knew exactly what area, whether it's design or the business side, merchandising, whatever it is, writing, if they could know what they want to do and then study that and get the best education that they can while interning, (laughs) I think so they would get the book smarts and also the street smarts of knowing. But I think if you can niche down as much as possible and know exactly what you want to do, it just makes it so much easier. I mean, at first I knew I couldn't design and I knew I could write, but For a while, I was like, well, maybe I want to get into the production part of it or work on photo shoots, or maybe I want to be a stylist. I I would love to go get clothes for people and return clothes for actors or actresses or whoever's being shot at the photo shoot. So I think just knowing exactly what you want. And you don't always, yes, training is important, but work especially on photo shoots is so important and you can find out a lot about yourself in terms of what you like and what you don't like so if you're not going to school and you do have a mentor I say reach out if you can they usually appreciate it yeah I feel like trying a lot of different things and you know just to get the experience just to see like you said what you like learn what you like learn what you don't like and then just find where you want to go is really important because I feel like these days being a slashy, that's a term, basically, you're doing a lot of different things. I think that that gets a lot of popularity doing that, doing uh, fashion photography and writing or whatever have you. But I feel like there's a lot to be said for going deep on one thing and getting real good at it and deciding, you know what, that's what I want to do. And I feel like once you get good at that one thing, then maybe spread out a bit. But I think that it's probably useful to have that base of knowledge in one area first. Yes, I definitely agree. I do. I mean, this day and age, people do like four and five, six different things. When I see it on their profile and I'm just like, oh, wow, mine's more like writer at Gemma Magazine and that's it. (laughs) And again, there's nothing wrong with that. You found your area and you're sticking to it. Some people can multitask like that and do it all but not everybody can. Right. And I actually think that starting off, you'll learn pretty quickly whether or not you're the type of person that can do a lot of things at once or just do one thing. You're going to learn because if you, let's say, for example, you're doing three different things and you're failing at all of them or you feel like you're failing at all of them, then you're probably the type of person that should just niche down. Right. Right. I agree. And 
I tend to do better with one, but I feel like we're attracted to people that can do different. And I know that my husband can produce and location scout and shoot. And I'm just like, oh, that would drive my mind crazy. Right. Yeah. Funny how marriages work that way, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I enjoy what I do. You know, it's kind of like the same thing. There's a familiarity to it, even though each person is so different, which I love. Right. So last question here, give us three either designers or concept stores, boutiques, just places to shop and people that we should buy from in Los Angeles if we're visiting the city. Okay, so I would say Olivacious would be a good one. They have a little boutique on Melrose, and it's very playful. It's a women-led company. I like that. Classic and contemporary. So you can obviously follow all these people on Instagram, and they just have a great little L.A. look to them, talking about L.A. looks. It's feminine, but a little bit edgy, too. And then another one that I absolutely adore, and I post her a lot. I hope she's not going to be mad if I mention her. Bonnie Strauss. She's like the bohemian queen. You can definitely find her on Instagram, Bonnie Strauss Clothing and Jewelry. And wearing her clothes, I've gotten to wear some of her outfits to events. And I felt like Cinderella. I did not want to take it off. Like literally just could not take it off. Since I got to wear it and I did a sample sale for her once, I got to see exactly what went into the work of designing. And it's amazing. Right. Her embroidery and everything handmade is just so beautiful. And then I'm going to throw in my sustainable Asino London, even though they're not LA Liberty, but you know what? It's resort, beachwear, sleep, loungewear. It's very LA-ish with a European vibe. So I just think those are three great, three different brands. All right. Yeah, those are great suggestions and link those in the show notes for people that want to look them up. Now, since we're at the end, do you have anything that you want to put out there to our listeners? Like where can they find you? Anything that you'd like for them to just take a look at? Well, if anybody is a sustainable designer, and since I'm doing a series on that, I know this is the third time I've mentioned it. You can get in touch with me and my email is elizabeth at gemmamagazine.com and it's elizabeth with an S or you can DM me. I'm on Instagram at gemmamagazine and I just really appreciate this opportunity at being here today. Thank you, Liberty. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for being on. I feel like I actually learned a lot about Los Angeles. So this was really useful. (laughs) So I know that people listening have probably learned the same. Again, we have people from all over the United States, all over the world. And I just, I feel like it was really great having you on and you've taught us a lot. So thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. I I absolutely loved it. And remember, people out here do work. They do work very hard. I know people have this conception of Disneyland, but there's a lot of talented, creative people out here. So I'll end it on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening. If you got value out of today's episode, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to the Manic Metallic Podcast. Be sure to tell all of your fashion-inclined friends and co-workers about the podcast as well. This would really help us to spread our message about fashion being an art, discipline, and force for societal change. And don't forget to stay in touch with us by subscribing to the Manic Metallic newsletter and following us on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us through either of those means. I'd love to hear from you. I'll link these all in the show notes. You're the best. See you next episode.